How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 212 of X-Labs, where we're continuing our look at the Hellfire Gala, and I come to you today with a, well, kind of a, kind of a bug up my butt. Um, there is something that's going to happen a little bit later on in the gala that, uh, despite my best efforts, was spoiled for me because, well, everybody is spoiling it. Um, I, I wish there was something we could do <laughs> where... Where we could like maybe maybe pump the brakes a little bit before we reveal things that uh, would be a lot more fun and a lot more satisfying if we were to experience them on our own, you know, firsthand. It's to the point where I can't even check messages anymore without uh, without major and minor plot points just being spoiled. It's really very unfortunate, and it's like, I, I, do I have to go completely off the grid in order to enjoy comics anymore? I just don't understand it. We see ourselves... I mean, we're just fans. I'm just a fan. I'm just a person who's marble-mouthedly talking about X-Men comics and hoping that people might want to participate and engage. But uh, I don't see myself as a news outlet. And uh, we X-Men fans, we comic fans, we're not news outlets. We're not breaking news. The comics themselves are doing that, and we do have... Like them or hate them, we do have a comics press. Let them do all these spoilers. Can we just please not? You know, I'd really like to enjoy these things the way they're meant to be enjoyed. It's uh, really quite unfortunate, and um, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling at this point. Uh, just be a little bit more considerate with your spoilers, is all I'm trying to say. Now, with my belly aching out of the way, let's get into today's issue. This is X-Force Volume 6, number 20. At an August 2021 cover date, the story is called The Secret Garden, written by Benjamin Percy with art by Joshua Kassara. Colors, Guru EFX, letters, VCs, Joe Caramagna, designs Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Basso, Amaro, White, Sobolski, cover price $3.99 American, and went on sale June 2nd of 2021. Now, of course, this is uh, the X-Force chapter, which... Looks like it's going to bleed into the Wolverine chapter, kind of, kind of the Percy corner of our uh, of our X line here, and uh, we got uh, X Force acting as security. So, we open with Quentin Quire welcoming some guests to the gala, and as mentioned, uh, X Force they are security or bouncers for the event, and you know, looking at X Force, I get that, right? I get that as a concept. I get that as a uh, a good use of their uh, of their more black ops team, I suppose. But at the same time, I I don't really see them being completely cool with it. You know, of course, Wolverine might not want a party. Uh, Sage, well, we'll get to Sage when we get to Sage, but, like, wouldn't Quentin Quire rather be 
inside causing trouble, hobnobbing, you know, dancing with a whichever cuckoo that he's with right now. I don't know. Just seems seems a little uh seems a little convenient. They just stick them in this little corner. Anyway, we see the Fantastic Four and Captain Marvel walk past him. Uh, they arrived and they're okay. Then Iron Man flies up. Just like we saw in Marauders, uh, Tony refuses to wear the Krakoan corsage, and he's uh, wearing his psychic-dampening shades. Uh, really not sure why we needed to see this scene twice, but what do I know? Um, maybe it'll come back around. Um, maybe they really just wanted to drive the point home that there are people who are wary of the mutants. Now, it's worth noting here, I didn't realize Tony went back to the mustache uh, instead of the goatee, and... You know, big big props to Josh Kassar here, who makes Tony look not like a creep with a mustache, which is pretty great. Now, whatever the case, Tony and Quentin clash here. Uh, Stark is really not interested in playing along or playing nice. Our scene shifts to Sage, and she's checking in with Wolverine. Now, he is with that weirdo Shi'ar guy from Marauders. He's checking in on that package that Emma Frost wasn't expecting and didn't ask for. We see that it's a whole lot of Shi'ar logic diamonds. Now, these diamonds are used as data storage for Cerebro. We learned that back when Forge was tasked with creating it, uh, or the whole infrastructure, back during Hoxpox. Now, Logan tells Sage that Christian Frost will be taking the diamonds back to Krakoa and to the Cerebro cradles. And that's something we probably ought to put a pin in, uh, because there's no way this won't be coming back around. Um, Part of me wonders why they had to, like, actually... Put them on the Marauder to sail back to Krakoa? Can't you just walk them through a gateway? I don't know. Maybe that's what they did. I don't know. Next, Domino checks in. And she's awkwardly standing like four feet away from the Terra Verde ambassadors and dignitaries. It's, uh, like I said, it's, it's awkward. Um, she's like literally standing right there talking about them, saying they're acting funny. While most definitely being within earshot. And, and there will be a reason why she's able to get away with this, but we'll get there when we get there. Uh... But just looking at this panel, it, it almost feels like a throwback to like a Rob Liefeld panel where it's like you got to get everybody in there. It doesn't matter how they're in there. It doesn't make any sense that they'd be in such a formation, but they're there anyway. Anyway, the diplomats, they're not reacting to Domino because they are basically at this point telefloronic zombies. And we're going to dig deeper into that. But of course, that is a callback to the Terra Verde story wherein Beast really showed himself to be quite the piece of garbage. Now, he is, of course, a piece of garbage with Krakoa's best interest at heart, or at least he thinks so, but a piece of garbage nonetheless. Now, Terra Verde, if you don't remember, had this telefloronic tech. Now, this might prove to be competition to the Krakoan magic meds, and maybe upset the apple cart in as much as the, uh, the amount of pull and global sway that the Krakoans would wield. Now... He mucked with the tech. You know, Beast was not happy. He mucked with the tech, and it somehow took over the entire country of Terra Verde, infecting all of its people. And uh, we find out that, at present, Beast is basically ruling over this infected nation, uh, keeping them docile and happy-looking. It's very bizarre, very creepy. It's very current-year Beast. Now, Domino's there. She asks for instructions. She's like, what am I supposed to do with these people? Beast is there with Sage, and he tells her to stand down. He suggests that... uh, you know, don't question me. <laughs> don't press the issue, because Beast is, uh, he's kind of a dick. Now, Domino stomps away, annoyed that, uh, she'd been put in her place in the X-Force hierarchy. She's, you know, nothing more than, than muscle at this point, and she is not entirely pleased with that. Now, Beast leaves the point, 
At which time Sage and Domino continue their chat. Sage is a bit upset that she's all dressed up with nowhere to go, and, uh... I mean, yeah, that kind of begs the question why she got all jumbo carnationed up if all she's gonna do is sit in the same old station that she always does. I don't know. Uh, Domino enters the gala and assures her that she isn't missing much here, and I take it that we're supposed to be in, like, absolute awe and wonderment of this full-page spread of partygoers, but... I mean, at this point, we've already seen it, so it kind of lacks any real punch. Though, it does provide us with some, with what might be the only on-panel shots of some of the Krakoans in their stupid formal wear. Uh, we do get to see Rachel, who looks like she's literally trying to hang Amazing Baby. Like, a little bit of awkward uh, composition there, uh, where it's almost like she is holding him up by the throat. Uh, Doctor Doom and Doctor Strange are uh, hitting it off pretty well. They're having drinks. It's kind of odd. Uh, there are also a bunch of Madrox dupes serving as waitstaff, which seems kind of wrong, but, I mean, this is uh, the current year Krakoa, and uh, I guess a Madrox is as good as anything, so whatever. From here, double-page spread of roll call and cred. The characters we'll be paying attention to include Wolverine, Sage, Kid Omega, Beast, and Domino. We go back to comics, and we've got Beast awkwardly introducing the Terra Verde delegates to the partygoers. All seems to be going well until he walks them past Emma and Charles, and uh, they both seem a bit suspicious, and of course with pretty good reason. Charles questions what Hank is up to, to which Hank responds that this might be one of those situations that Xavier might be better off not knowing, which was apparently part of their deal when Beast took the helm of X-Force. I guess this would give Xavier a little bit of plausible deniability on some of their uh, more... uh, I don't know, unpleasant activities. Xavier begrudgingly accepts this answer. And Beast is like, hey, come on, have I ever let you down before? And Xavier, who still looks like a slot machine vomited on him, uh, says, no, you haven't, at least not yet, anyway. Beast walks by, Xavier and Emma then look at each other, with the uh, latter seeming quite bothered. Uh, Xavier might look bothered as well, but, you know, he's got a giant helmet on, so we really can't see his eyes. Beast then checks in with Sage, who informs him that their garden is growing. And I'm guessing this is conveniently tied into Terra Verde, because Terra Verde, Terra Verde, Terra Verde, Terra Verde. Beast then eats what looks like something that would be the result of a goldfish mating with an octopus, while Emma Frost glares at him. From here, we get an info page, and it's uh, basically Beast justifying all of his actions, and it's, uh, it's all quite insane. We go back to comics. We got Wolverine checking in on some movement that he'd noticed on the southern shore of Mykonos. And it's Deadpool. And I almost want to stop right here. Uh, Not because I don't like Deadpool. I I do quite like Deadpool. Uh, We've talked about him quite a bit. I'm just not sure how Percy is going to write Wade. And (laughs) at this point, I'm not really sure I want to find out. But, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound. Let's press on. Deadpool, he's upset that he didn't get an invite to the gala, which kind of plays into his feelings, you know, being left out of all things X, which we discussed at length way back during episode 101 of this program. Now, Deadpool, he proclaims himself as being a mutant, and Wolverine corrects him. (laughs) Deadpool accepts this, but asserts that, you know, I'm an honorary mutant, and I think that's pretty cute, especially considering how many people think Deadpool actually is a mutant. And that goes for fans and uh, creators alike. Uh, Logan and Wade wrestle around for a bit at this point. 
Scenes shift to the point where Emma has brought Sage a glass of champagne, uh, which, for whatever reason, really freaks her out. Back to the fight. Domino enters the fray and uses her gross Krakoan cannon to burn Deadpool's face off. Then, back to the point, where Emma actually gives Sage the champagne. Um, she waits for her to take a mouthful, then proceeds to inform her that she knows all about Terra Verde, which causes a Sage spit take. Emma makes it clear that what Sage and Beast have done can, and uh, potentially will, lead to some major league headaches and problems for Krakoa. It's not as though she actually cares about the Terra Verdans, right? She doesn't have any sort of moral stance on this. Uh, she just sees this as something that they can't allow to get out. You know, this is really, really bad press for Krakoa if they find out that they're basically... You know, got like a zombie puppets, you know, running a nation somewhere else just to keep them off the uh, keep them off the board insofar as competition for the magic meds. Now this takes us to our cliffhanger, wherein Beast loses control of the Telefloronics, and the Terra Verdans start turning into nasty tree people. And this will be continued in Wolverine number thirteen, which we will get to early next month. Before we close, we do get a mostly blank quote page, and it's from Deadpool, and he suggests that he and X-Force are basically genitalia that would fit cozily inside one another. Alrighty. Um, next episode, the final issue from my May DCBS package. We're going to be talking about Hellions number 12. But first, let's talk X-Force. Um, and as a... Uh, I mean, stop me if you heard this one before. Uh, they're really isn't a whole heck of a lot to say here. Um, we get further confirmation that Emma Frost knows a bit more about just about everything going on on Krakoa than we, you know, than we were led to believe, I suppose. I'm wondering if somewhere, you know, before this all wraps up, if we're going to get a uh, some sort of a look into Emma's diaries, right? Uh, Emma seems to just know a lot of stuff that's going on here. It might actually help massage things into making sense if we... Uh, if we do see what she knows, how much of what she knows, uh, how long she's known it, and how maybe behind the scenes she's kind of guided Krakoa down a certain path here that, uh, I don't know that I'd say that we didn't expect, but um, might just be might just serve as like a curveball, right? We think that it's Mora, Magneto, and Charles who are, you know, really the, the architects and the... Uh, Basically the pilots of uh, Krakoa here Putting it on trajectory and getting it to where they think it needs to be Where behind the scenes it might might be Emma Who knows a little bit more about a little bit more And uh, could be very interesting here um, That said, the, the Terra Verde thing isn't wildly interesting um, I did like it as we were reading through it initially here Because I thought it was a, a weird sort of take on... Um, uh, like a different bent of uh, of post-humanity Rather than it being like a, a machine-based uh, post-humanity It's a more uh, organic sort of post-humanity And playing with, you know, things like flowers And, and, uh, and just foliage and, and green growth That really ties into Krakoa here It's almost like a missing link Between Krakoan um, science and uh, magic, I suppose To the post-humanity it, it's a strange little link between the two, and I, and I liked it when it was introduced. Here it's maybe less about moving the story forward and more about just truly illustrating that, uh, you know, Beast is basically irredeemable at this point. What he's done to the Terra Verdans is, uh, 
a bit beyond the pale even for him, which is saying quite a bit, uh, especially these days where he is. Uh, I mean, we just saw him kill a uh, a captive Omega Red just so he can you know tinker with his his sea synth. You know, he also killed the royal family of Terra Verde or the the prince. I, I suppose it's yeah. Beast is fairly. It's going to be tough to to walk this back here, and it takes me to um, basically my main takeaway from this issue is that uh, what do you do with Beast? What can we do with Beast here? It I've been saying this since almost since we started this uh, program. I feel like Beast is heading toward a redemption arc because they are really piling on just how awful and sociopathic he is, and how little regard he has for. Not just human life, but any life. You know, he is just full-on evil mad scientist at this point who is... I was going to say he feels like he's above the law, but he actually is above the law. He's been put above the law. And uh, I feel like those chickens have been waiting to come home to roost for quite a while. And with every step we take deeper into the sociopathic abyss, um, it feels like it's just going to be all that much more difficult to rescue him if in fact we are looking to rescue him here we do know that there are you know cerebro backups that are less current which is to say we could perhaps dial beast back right we could take him to a i mean if we're up to me a uh, you know early 1990s uh beast but uh, i don't think that's gonna happen but a pre-Hoxpox beast. We could dial him back to that, at least in theory, which is something I'd like to see for a few reasons. Um, first, it would solve this problem, in a sense anyway, right? We could have a beast that didn't commit these atrocities here that might have a little bit more, might place a little bit more value on life here. Also, it's uh, making him eat crow a little bit. As we all know, after uh, AVX ended, he went into the past, brought back the uh, you know the original five to kind of shock Cyclops back to back to sanity because this was revolutionary Cyclops who was uh, really just a I mean no pun intended he was just seeing red. So Beast went back to the past, brought a younger Cyclops up so the elder could see you know what he used to be and the younger could see what he may become down the line. Here, if we do this with Beast, if we dial him back, which is, of course, not dialing back time, right? All we're doing is rolling him back to an earlier incarnation. He will still have to deal with everything that he did, right? He's still going to have to face all the atrocities. He, he hadn't committed them at this point, at least not mentally, right? So he would still have to know what he became, which is a nice thing to kind of you know put in his face here. And maybe that'll help him to steer a different way. Maybe go kind of polar opposite from the beast we have now. It's funny, I was looking at a uh, message board, which is apparently the only place online you can go to and not be spoiled on comics if you don't want to be spoiled on comics. But uh, I saw the suggestion, and I do think somebody wrote in and mentioned this somewhere down the line, but that this might not be... Our regular beast here. This could be Dark Beast. You know, Xavier and Magneto might have figured that the Dark Beast would have been a little bit more better suited to X-Force sort of uh, shenanigans and maybe 
the more harder-edged, less compassionate beast that they need for uh, this endeavor. And so maybe Hank McCoy, the 616 version, is still in the queue somewhere, right? Maybe he's just not, not been brought back. Maybe he's in stasis. Maybe it's just a... There is that no-dupe rule, right? There is a no-dupe rule. So if we have the AOA Dark Beast, well, then we can't have the 616 Regular Beast. So I wonder if uh, perhaps there is something to that. He could be in Beast's regular husk, right? He could be in Hank McCoy's husk, but the Cerebro backup might be for the Dark Beast. Or it might be an amalgamation of the two. Who knows? I mean, would that be a satisfying reveal? Maybe, maybe not. You know, um, it is a little easy. It is a little convenient. But, I mean, with a character like Beast, who has a known doppelganger and has had a known doppelganger for almost 30 years now, I mean, I guess there are worse ways to go about uh, fixing this, right? But we'll put a pin in that for now. Hopefully we'll get a little bit more food for thought as we uh, continue our way through. What else happened here? Um... The Shi'ar Logic Diamonds, they showed up. I have to assume that since we did dedicate a scene in this issue and in Marauders to it, that there's going to be something to that. Something will come out of that. And you guys know me. I'm very, very bored by the Shi'ar. Uh, it's another one of those things that feels like this era may have be uh, leaning a little too far into. It's like we've kind of done the Shi'ar um, a lot. <laughs> not not quite as much as Otherworld or Madripoor, but it's up there. It is up there for sure, but uh, I'm mildly intrigued to see where this might be headed. Um, also, we did get Deadpool here. I know, I know Deadpool's not everybody's favorite flavor, but I enjoy seeing him here. He's really, really good to me in small doses, and when he's not uh, attached to a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent, so that's a, that's a good thing. I, I always like having uh, Wade try to try to play nice with the uh, the X family of characters here, you know, trying to proclaim that he is a mutant, or at the very least an honorary mutant. It, uh, sadly, it kind of reminds me of me trying to uh, fit in with the rest of the podcasting community. It's like I'm frantically waving my hands over my head saying, hey, I'm, I'm just like you. I'm a comics podcaster, and I realize that I'm basically just talking to myself and uh, then I head off into a darkened room and listen to some Tori Amos or something so but enough about me um, the Deadpool scene here was a uh, pretty fun uh, I had my reservations about Percy writing him but I think he did a pretty good job at least I know that Percy doesn't think that Deadpool actually is a mutant which I mean I wouldn't have bet a penny on either direction <laughs> before this issue but overall not a bad issue um the event here is very strange. Uh, this is a non-linear story, which may not be for everybody. Uh, I think it's a nice change of pace. Uh, you know, 100 episodes ago, we did Exa Swords, and that was 22 parts plus preamble plus postamble. And outside of a few chapters, it had to be read in a certain order in order to get the most out of it. It remains to be seen if that is the case with the Hellfire Gala. I don't know if there are stories we should be reading before the others. I'm just following... The list at the end of uh, at the at the end of the comics here, because I'm assuming that'll probably be the best way to do it. But overall, I guess I'm having a better time with this than I expected, and I'm most definitely looking forward to our upcoming Hellions chapter. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, the art here was fantastic. Uh, Kasara is a uh, absolutely wonderful artist. It's always a treat to see his work. So. 
Anyway, I think that's all I got to say about this issue. Uh, before we go, let's hop into the mailbag here. We've got a couple of letters to get to. We're going to start with Damien, who's talking about X-Factor number 8. Now he says, Your feeling that this plotline has been truncated is very much a forecast for the next issue, which is exceptionally dense. In fact, Paul O'Brien of the X-Axis shared a screenshot of Leah Williams saying she discovered X-Factor was being cancelled with issue 10 whilst writing 9 as part of, the, of his review for issue 9. It's very upsetting to me that such a great book is being cancelled. I hope Williams and Baldeon get to continue working together for the X-Books, but whatever they do, I will be buying it. They made me care about Dakin Dakin, uh, and that's a miracle of comic storytelling in and of itself. Yes, um... You mentioned Paul O'Brien, which means I have to go on a, uh, a Paul O'Brien fanboying um, squee. Uh, Paul O'Brien, for those who don't know, uh, Damien mentioned he's from the X-Axis. Right now he has a site called House to Astonish, which um, I really, really need to catch up on. I'm very far behind on his writings here. Uh, he has been annotating everything since uh, House of X number one. Every X-Men issue he's been uh, doing annotations here. Referencing, you know, bits and bobs from uh, X-Men continuity and how they are still relevant or how they're being nodded at today It's really good stuff, very, very dense writing It's Paul O'Brien and uh, he is, uh, he's wonderful He's a giant among X-Men commentators and fans uh, I've been following his work since the mid-90s um, I used to see his work on Usenet he would do the X-Axis there, which was a weekly uh, comics review with a focus on the X-Men. He would read other books and, and do, like, capsule reviews and sometimes extended reviews for some of the bigger um, non-X things of, a, of any given week. But the primary focus was the, the X-Books, and there were... I don't know if there were less of them back then or about the same. I think it, it always vacillates with the X-Books, but I am such a big fan of Paul O'Brien's work that I... I mean, this is going to sound pathetic, but... I actually started a uh, like a private blog where I collected all that I could find of his uh, x-axis on uh, Usenet and uh, put them in blog post form so I could like revisit them down the line and use them for reference and uh, just enjoy reading them uh, again and again because right now if you try to if you try to use Usenet which is one of the easiest portals to um, to check out the old BBSs is like Google groups and even that is kind of, eh. I mean, it's a it's a real pain in the ass to navigate, especially if you're going back to the uh, mid to late 90s trying to find things because the search feature is kind of broken. And it's so bogged down with spam and porn and just all sorts of stuff that you may not want to see while you're while you're looking for comics material. And I mean, I'm not here to shame anybody. Whatever, whatever works for you works for you, but... When I look at Usenet, I'm looking for information, and uh, it was becoming harder and harder to uh, revisit these X-Axis. Um, uh, Paul O'Brien did start an X-Axis website, but he didn't collect his uh, earlier work on there. It was basically just a, he started the site and then everything forward was on the site until he went off to, to start the House to Astonish podcast with, uh, what's his face, Al Kennedy, I believe. I haven't listened to the show in, in quite some time. I'm far behind on just about just about everything because I'm always uh, I'm always doing this. So I'm far behind on plenty of things. But I went back to those old BBSs and I would copy and paste into a uh, 
into a Blogspot blog that uh, I kept private because, you know, it's not my work. I just wanted to enjoy it. I didn't want to publish it and make it seem like it was, uh, like I was trying to pass his work off as mine because, well, nobody would assume my work is his because uh, that would be a (laughs) great insult to his work. But yes, a huge fan of Paul O'Brien. I would recommend everybody uh, check out his work wherever you can find it. X-Axis, House to Astonish. If you are a Usenet person, check that stuff out. Um, really, really fun insights. Um, really conversational tone here. It's intelligent writing that doesn't make you feel stupid when you read it, which is a, a feat in and of itself here. I know, I know a lot of us kind of view ourselves as intellectuals, where we try to use the, the $100 words to, to really drive home the point that we're very, very learned and erudite. There, hey, there's one right there. But uh, Paul O'Brien will write in a very, very intelligent way, but he won't leave you in the dust. It's, it's very well done stuff here. And yes, I did see on his site here, I did just check to see the, uh, the screenshot. And yeah, it's a, a tweet from Leo Williams, and it's, uh, it's actually the one that we referenced, I believe, when we discussed X Factor number 9 here, where she said she found out that the book was being canceled while she was in the middle of writing that one, which... Of course, did explain the post-Staples truncation there. Felt like we were reading two different two different speeds of story with issue 9. So, I guess making the best of an inconvenient situation, right? I can't really hold it against, against the creative team. It's more a current-year comics problem, right? I, I do hope that Williams and Baldion will, will uh, do something together again. Um, I mean, nobody's doing anything with Gwenpool, right? Can we get uh, Gwenpool Strikes Back again? Can we do that? I'd be down with that. I really enjoyed Gwenpool Strikes Back, as everybody knows. So, uh, yeah, I would dig that. And who knows? Like we uh, mentioned a couple episodes ago, I believe, for all we know, the trial of Magneto could end and X-Factor could come back with a new number one or preferably an issue 11, but uh, probably not. You never know. Fingers crossed. Never say never. Here's, uh, here's hoping for the best. But uh, thank you so much for uh, writing in on that, Damien, and uh, facilitating my, uh, my fanboying over Paul O'Brien. Next up, we got Al talking about Marauders number three. We're going way back in the day here. Al says, first of all, I have to give a correction to my previous email. There, after finally reading Dawn of X, Volume 3, I gave my thoughts on X-Men number three and New Mutants number three, which you covered in X-Lapsed episodes 25 and 26. Except you didn't cover New Mutants number three, it was Marauders, which would explain why I couldn't remember anything about what you said that issue. I hadn't listened to it yet. I must have gotten the order confused in my head. Hey, it happens to the best of us. I I didn't remember myself, so there's that. Uh, Al continues. Oh well, that works because here's my review of Marauders number three. I forgot it existed. (laughs) Sorry, I remember now you being all excited for Shinobi Shaw. But for me, Sebastian is just okay. Nothing too exciting about him to me. As for Shinobi, well, we are, the, we are in complete opposites there. I think he could make my top five list of X characters I don't care about at all. And, I mean, Shinobi, to me, I, I don't know so much that I care about him. Uh, I just love the upstarts. Uh, and, you know, the upstarts, in practice, was uh, a missed opportunity, right? But, in concept... I just love the idea of the upstarts. I love the idea that we have 
mutants, humans, super characters, a- any sort of character who's just in part of this club trying to rack up points by killing mutants here. It's trophy hunting. It's uh, it's basically big game hunting in the form of taking out mutants. It's not out of fear and or hate in, in some cases. It's about clout, you know? And that's something that exists in real life. People do things simply... I mean, I, I, I don't want to make comparisons like a one-to-one <laughs> on killing people, but people do do things for clout. And I feel like with the upstarts, an argument can be made that for some of the members of the crew, it's not personal. You know, it's not like... It's like, well, we have to kill this person because they're, they're a mutant and we hate mutants. It's like, it's like, no, I want to kill this person because that one is worth more points than another one. And I just love the idea. I think it's one that they really left money on the table with. Uh, around that time, uh, John Byrne was uh, interviewed. This is during his little cup of coffee during the, uh, the Jim Lee Wills Protasio era where he was doing some uh, last-minute scripting for uh, Uncanny and uh, Volume 2. And he was interviewed in Wizard Magazine, I believe. I think it was Wizard Magazine issue three, maybe two or three. No, two was a Claremont interview, three was the Byrne interview, because uh, in the second issue of Wizard, they gave Claremont an interview where he was very, very happy about the direction of the X-Men, and it ended with a blurb saying, uh, in between the time we did this interview and published it, Chris Claremont has announced that he's leaving the X-Books. And then the next issue was the, hey, John Byrne's back, and I believe like before they even published the issue, it's like, yeah, he left too. So... During that interview, he talked a lot about uh, thinking there were too many mutants. And at the time, I mean, that it's almost cute, right? It's almost adorable, considering where we were in 1991 as compared to where we would be at the end of the 90s and even you know to today, where we've got 200,000 mutants living on an island, right? But Byrne was saying that he wanted to orchestrate like a New Age mutant massacre, right? He wanted to take out as many mutants that he found as unnecessary or redundant or just, you know, not not relevant anymore. He wanted to take them out. And uh, he thought to do so, he would put together some sort of an event and it would be something like the Mutant Massacre. Well, at that same time, you had the upstarts who were hunting mutants for points. I would have loved it had they actually taken out some mutants. They, if they would have let the upstarts do what their mission statement called for them to do. It would have made them a credible threat. Uh, you could have introduced new characters this way. You could have taken out characters this way. I just see it as a... It's like a utilitarian narrative device where you can get fun stories, but you can also serve a purpose here. If we were looking to wean the numbers down, right? Winnow the, uh, the mutant numbers down, that's... A heck of a way to do it. I would really like to see something like this come back. I've wanted to see it come back at several points in history. At any point in history, uh, I remember thinking about uh, sending in a pitch for an upstart series when Bill Jemis launched his epic line back around, what, 2003, 2004 or so? 2002, maybe. I don't remember. It's back in the day when he tried launching Epic, uh, trying to get cheap labor (laughs) out of wannabe comic creators. Uh, I actually started putting together a pitch for uh, an Upstarts uh, miniseries where I thought it would be fun to... This was around the time, or a little bit after, when Marvel launched The Brotherhood, right? Now, The Brotherhood, for those who don't know, was a weird street-level take on... 
maybe a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Uh, it was. It wasn't great. Um, it was very angsty. It was very uh, purple. <laughs> it wasn't great. But one of the main gimmicks of that book was that the author was just called X. Nobody knew who the writer was. We all knew it was Howard Mackey, but we didn't have any clarification that it was Howard Mackey. Uh, Howard Mackey at that time had uh, a lot of bad will, a lot of ill will toward his writing. So uh, I don't know if they decided not to put his name on the book because they thought it wouldn't sell with his name on it or if this was just really a gimmick, you know, and maybe it was a little bit of both. But I was thinking about taking a page out of that and just... Having this book that would feature the upstarts not called upstarts, called something different. I had a, I had a cool name for it. I just don't remember what it was. And uh, the first issue was going to be told like with a first-person perspective, and it was going to be you know just someone watching mutants, someone just taking a look at mutants. And uh, and at the end, I wanted to kill a higher-profile mutant, like a maybe like a, a B-level mutant, you know, someone that no one would see coming. I don't remember which one I chose. Not that it matters at all. Uh, But uh, it was going to be like this mutant was going to be killed and then you were going to just see points, you know, pop over their head like as though you were playing like a first-person shooter or a uh, a role-playing game. You were just going to see numbers pop up over their head and it would be, you know, revealed, oh, here are the upstarts, they're back. And this person that we were in the point of view of was going to be Fabian Cortez. You know, that was my idea that... uh, that I thought it would be really cool, uh, a nice little sort of kind of deep cut reveal for uh, X fans that, that they might understand it, they might get the reference here. Uh, not quite the Thunderbolts at the end of Thunderbolts number one revealing themselves as being the masters of evil, but, you know, <laughs> something. And uh, I thought it would fit in decently with the epic run here where, hey, you can either take it or don't. Um, I never got around to finishing it, and I think by the time I actually set my sights on finishing it, Epic had already folded, so what could have been? Maybe one of these days. You, you never you never say never in this world. Anyway, Al continues, It probably has to do with our reading the titles back in the early 90s. While the Mutant Genesis era was your intro, it was my jumping-off point. Well, my first jumping-off point. I would jump in and out of the X-Books many times over the years. Sure, I stuck with X-Factor and Excalibur, but the other three had lost me just before the big names jumped ship to form Image. Not only did I miss most of the stories that from that time that featured Shinobi, I even think Fallen Angels number one was my first time reading a Quanon story. Well, you know, I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because uh, those early Quanon stories were very, very confusing, and uh, well, Fallen Angels kind of sucked, so it's uh, I guess it's a either-or sort of a situation there. Anyway, Al wraps up with, that's enough out of me. Next time, my thoughts on X-Labs number 27 and, double-checking, Excalibur number three. Well, I mean, don't be so sure, because uh, anytime you read Excalibur, you might feel like you missed an issue. But hopefully we'll have it all figured out. But uh, thank you so much for writing in. It really, really means a lot that you're sticking with the uh, with the program as you uh, work your way through the early issues in the Dawn of X uh, run. It really, really means a lot. Thank you. Now, if uh, anybody would like to be a part of the show, write in, say hello, all that good stuff, please, please, I invite you to do so. You can find me several different ways. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Ace Comics. On Instagram, it's 90sXmen. You can shoot an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed hotline at 623-396-JERK. 
For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisoninfiniteearth.com. You could chat us up on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men. And finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comics commentary listening needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available everywhere. The internet aggregates noise. And of course, while you're there, if you like what you hear, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it each and every day, I would love for you to uh, spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two. It would really, really mean the world to me. So I thank you in advance. And uh, while I thank you in advance, I thank you in the present as well. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of your day today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.